love it that I have people who remember things when I forget and are not afraid to tell me that I forget, forgot. Nathaniel and Anna Kasky also had a baby this week. Nathaniel, stand up and tell me what the baby's name is. Natalia Brielle. That is beautiful. I like to let dads do that when they're here. <laughs> Amen. All right. So we rejoice with them also. I apologize. I had it written down in my office and they didn't bring that note out with me, so I forgot all about it, but uh, not uncommon. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans 8, verse 28. If you recall that two weeks ago, I did sort of an overview of Romans 8, 28 through 39, the whole end of this chapter. And, and in that we saw that Paul is expressing some great truths there. He's given us five unshakable convictions out of, of, chapter, uh, of verse 28. And we'll look at one of those unshakable convictions today. Uh, he also said in verses 29 and 30, there were five undeniable affirmations, all related to our salvation being rooted in eternity past and eternity future. And we'll break those down one by one over the next few weeks and months, I suppose. And then in verses 31 through 39, he posed to us five unanswerable questions. Five questions that told us the truth about the grace and the glory and the and the providence of God. Indeed, in all this passage, Paul is wanting us to see the beauty and the power and the glory of the providence of God, that God is overseeing His creation, that God is overseeing His people, and God is caring for those that belong to Him. It is never, ever missed on Him when His children are undergoing difficult times. And so Paul wants to make that clear in verse 28 when he starts out by saying, this we know, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I'll just warn you, verse 28 is going to be about four or five weeks just in that one verse to see all that he's saying there. And I'm going to, I'm, as I told you in my Grace Notes article this week, and some of you commented on it, so you read it, I appreciate that. Uh, that, that I'm going to do it a little out of sync with what, how I'd planned to do it at the beginning when I laid out this end of chapter 8 and how to present it and how to deal with it, what sections and in what order. And I'm skipping down to the end of verse 28 for the sermon today, and, or for at least part of it, and I'm going to uh, then pick up with the, uh, the rest of it, the love of God and other things in the future. But when Paul says here, we know this, that's that first unshakable conviction Paul says, I want you to know, we know, we have assurance. Everything that he said prior to this has been talking about the glory of Christ and the glory of God's salvation, the glory of Christ's redemption of us, and the power of the Holy Spirit working in our life. And he's laid all these building blocks, if you will, to be able to say in verse 28, this we know. We're not hoping for it. We're not thinking maybe it might come about. But he's saying, this is something that we know. And in that expression of knowledge, he then says a promise. He said, this we know that for those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose, here's the promise, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. Now, we'll, we'll 
unpack that even more in weeks to come. But I want you to see that what Paul is saying there is that no matter, even if we can't see it, even if we are into difficult times in our life where we say, I don't know exactly what's going on and I can't figure out what God is doing, Paul would say here, that's okay. You don't have to be able to figure it out. You don't have to be able to understand it. You don't have to be able to look at all the pieces of it and say, this is how this is going to fit together. Because guess what? You and I would miss it on every count there. But what we do have to say is, I know. I know that even when I can't see it, I know that even when I can't understand it, I know that even when I wish it weren't happening, I know that God is at work in that because I love Him. We'll talk about what all that love of God means in a week or so. Because I love Him and because He has called me. He has called me in accordance with His purpose. He has called me to know what He's doing in a grand scheme of things. I think Paul is, is clear here, and when he gets down in verse 29, and we'll, again, that's getting a little ahead of ourselves, but I, I think you have to tie this to it, that, that the purpose that he is working toward, the purpose which will accomplish all that in our life, is found in that middle part of verse 29 when he talks about to be conformed to the image of his Son. To be conformed to the image of Jesus. Everything that comes into your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the difficult times, all of those things that come into your life are working toward that one glorious purpose. Now, we know that purpose is wrapped up in redemption. We know that purpose is wrapped up in eternal life. We know that purpose is saying that God is going to make everything perfect in the end. But I believe Paul is saying much more than that. I think Paul is saying you need to see that everything that's happening in your life today is working toward that glorious purpose of shaping you and carving you and molding you into the image of Christ. What Paul is not saying here is that we have some kind of a, a theology that is, I, I don't know what the, how it came about in the actual original language, but how it came about in the movies is, is, you know, que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. Now, if you're under 40, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about and say it came out in the movies. If I were to say to you today that, you know, Doris Day said that in a movie, que sera, just a mother talking to her daughter, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see, que sera, sera. If I said Doris Day, you'd have to go get Google and find out who Doris Day is because you have no idea. She was an actress. And she was in a lot of movies, and that's probably her most famous line, maybe in all of her movies. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying, hey, just, just be passive, just back off, and don't worry, you know, everything's going to be all right. Que sera, sera. He's not saying that we don't have a purpose in looking to what the purpose of God is and being committed to the purpose of God and being pursuing of the purpose of God in our own lives every single day. There is an active, an active submission to His will and His purpose that we are to follow. Every believer. And we understand that that promise is only made to believers. He's not saying to the world, don't worry. All things are working together for good. Now, you've heard people quote that part of the verse and leave off everything else. Well, we know God's working everything for good. We know everything's going to work out in the end. But it says, Paul makes very specific, 
a specific group of people to whom that applies. And that is those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. Not other people. Those who hate God are going to find a rude awakening that things aren't going to work out for their good. People that say I'm a bold and proud atheist and I'm not afraid to burn in hell are going to find out that they may not be afraid to burn in hell right now and they may not be afraid to say that right now thinking that they're somehow mocking God but the day is coming when they will be very afraid of that when they see it in reality. But Paul says for the believer, there is security. That was the title of the sermon two weeks ago. Now that's security. You know, we have the security that God is at work, working out His purpose, working out His will, working out His glory in the life of every single believer. And we know that, Paul says. We know that. But I also want to think about this and apply it a little differently than just the individual believer today. It, it fits an individual believer, and that's who we'll talk about for the most part in the weeks to come as we look at this verse. But this morning, I want to contend to you or, or present to you the fact that I think it also works itself out in the life of the body of believers. All things work together for good to those who love God, those churches, those bodies of believers who love God, those who are called according to His purpose, who have set His purpose before their eyes and not their own. That, that they're not committed to getting what I want out of this, not committed to everything being like I want it to be, but being able to say, Lord, we love you, we are committed to you, and we are committed to your purpose completely. We want your purpose to be what is ever before us. When we met... 13 years ago and a week, for that first time, we thought about uh, the second chapter of Acts. If you want to turn there with me just a minute, do that. I just want to, I, I'm, I think this kind of set the, the tone for everything we've talked about since then. Acts chapter 2. You'll get there before I will. Acts chapter 2. There toward the end of that chapter, in, in verses 42 and following, Luke gives us there sort of a, a, a summary verse or a summary passage because you've just had Pentecost and thousands of people saved and baptized into the church and the church is now beginning to develop and grow and be a, 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 an organism that's being seen among the, the city and among the people. And, and, and Paul said, uh, excuse me, Luke said there, and they devoted themselves, verse 42, chapter 2, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four things, four, four things that that church said, this is what is important, the apostles' teaching. Now, they had the apostles there to teach them. They had John and Peter and and Andrew and all the others, they were right there with them and they were teaching as the Lord gave them insight into applying the, go uh, the gospel of Christ's death and resurrection and ascension into their lives. They had all of that, they had the apostles there. We don't have apostles today. If you run into somebody that says, oh, I'm an apostle, you, you run from them because they're a false teacher. 
They can't meet the qualifications of apostle. They didn't see the earthly ministry of Christ. They didn't be a, weren't a, a, a witness to his resurrection. You know, there, there are certain things that apostle can only, only an apostle can have, and we don't have any today that fit that criteria. So if somebody says, you see somebody on TV saying, oh, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, you look at them as a heretic because that's what they are. Now, they may have a, a, a ministry that looks like an apostle's ministry. They take the gospel into regions where it has never gone, but they are not apostles in the biblical sense of the term. And when they claim to be, run from them. The early church said we're committed to the apostles' doctrine. We're committed to the apostles' teaching. Why do we study the Word so much around grace? Why do we work our way through books of the Bible like Romans, and we've done it through Philippians, we've done it through Colossians, and we've done it through uh, the Gospel of John? And other. Why do we do that? We do that because that's the apostles' teaching. That's the apostles' doctrine. And we're committed to what they taught. We're committed to what Jude said, that, that we are committed to, to the faith once for all delivered to the saints by God himself. As Jeff said earlier, or as Michael said earlier, one of them said earlier, God has spoken and God is not silent. God continues to speak through his word, by his spirit, making application of that word. And so that's what we look to. That is the center of everything we do. That's the center of our worship. That's the center of our education ministry in Sunday school. That's the center of what we do on Wednesday nights. The Word is always central and always focused. That's why buried under this pulpit right here in a steel box is a Bible open to Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Greek. I am not ashamed of the gospel. We are not ashamed of the gospel. We proclaim the gospel because the gospel is the truth of God's word. We want to hold to that. It says they also were committed to fellowship. They spent time together. They knew each other. They were a body. It didn't just mean getting together and eating a meal or getting together and, and, and having some punch and cookies. It didn't just mean uh, once in a while being a part of one another's lives, but they, they fellowshiped with one another around a common treasure. And it wasn't the church. And it wasn't their desires. It was around the common treasure of Jesus Christ, their Lord, their Redeemer. The one who, as the choir sang about one of my favorite songs, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, I stand. That's where the fellowship was centered. That's where the fellowship was found. The breaking of bread was worshiping. It was coming to the Lord's table like we did last week. Breaking of bread, as the Lord said, do this in remembrance of me until I come again. And they broke bread together. And they fellowshiped together. And they prayed together that night 13 years ago we looked at that that passage of scripture for the very first time and we've looked at it numerous times since but as we've looked at that passage of scripture we made a commitment that night that we would be centered on the word fellowshipping together worshiping together and that we would pray together now i'll just tell you i think we are entering into a season in the life of the church where we need to keep the purpose of God before us, and we will only do that if we spend it in prayer. Over the next several months, we're going to have 
special seasons of prayer that we'll call the church to. We're going to have special days of prayer where we'll do like we did a few weeks ago, come together, and I'm going to urge you to come together. On the 17th of November at our regular congregational meeting, we're going to meet and we're going to have sort of a, a discussion that night of how we're going to pray and how we move forward and everything for the future. I mean, that's important that we do that together. And, and, you know, some of you have come up to me and said, oh, Bill, we're so unhappy, we're sad, we, we can't get our head around this. You've always been at grace. You're, you're, you're kind of the face of grace. And, all, and, that's, and I, I know what you're saying, and I appreciate that so much. But as I said in my article, Grace Baptist Church is not about Bill Haynes. Thank God that I got to be the founding senior pastor. I'm so grateful for that. That'll be something that I will cherish till my dying day. And, and, and that'll never change. I'll always be the founding, past, founding senior pastor. There'll never be another one. So that's mine. But if I, if I just glory in that rather than glorying in the purpose of God, then I've missed it altogether, okay? I really have. I mean, I, I, I'm glad of that. I'm happy about that. But, you know, that means nothing in the grand scheme of things if the purpose and the focus is missed. Out on the wall out there in the foyer, kind of adopted that that first couple of weeks of our, of our existence, you know, that our, our purpose is to love God, love one another, and reach our world. That comes right out of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 43. We are to love God. We are to worship God. How do we love Him? We love Him by worshiping Him and expressing that to Him, not just in songs, but with songs, not just in prayer, but with prayer, but coming together as a corporate body and lifting our hearts and our voices and our minds to the Lord. That is focal, loving God. There are a lot of churches today that love themselves. I, I don't want to be heard as saying that when I talk about the fact that Grace Baptist Church is unique. We are unique. But, but we're not unique because we love ourselves. We're unique because we see His purpose, His goal, what He has said in His Word, and we focus toward that. It's not toward us. Again, back to... Psalm 115.1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. And we sought to do that as pastors and as other lay leaders in the church and even as a body. That's been our focus. That's been our goal. So when Paul talks about God working together good, all things, all matters, we know this to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, we know that God is working good things together for Grace Baptist Church because he has called us according to his purpose and because we love him and we worship him. And that's important to know. That's important to see. Uh, my retirement should not cause Grace Baptist Church to miss a beat. We've got seven months or so. Maybe, well, I won't say maybe more, not more, seven months or so. Uh, I get cold feet every now and then, I'll admit to you. But, but we got seven months or so that we're going to worship together. I'm going to continue to be the, the lead preacher, not the only preacher, but the lead preacher. And, and we will do things together and talk about things together and, and worship together. And, and then once I retire, at least for the foreseeable future, we'll be together. But again, it's not about me. It's about keeping the purpose strong. You know, churches sometimes make royal mistakes when a pastor leaves. 
But now, granted, most times the pastor leaves under other circumstances. One, he's run off. Uh, you know, just, we're tired of you. We don't want you anymore. I'm glad that only one person said that to me last week, and I knew he was kidding. Said, it's about time. And I said, he said, I got three words for you. It's about time. I said, no, that's four words. It is about time. But I knew he was kidding. But, but I'm glad I'm not being run off. I'm glad that for the most part, you'd love to see me stay. Uh, even in this role. That, that's great. That makes me feel good. Because one of the ways most past, a lot of pastors leave is they are run off. Made to feel hard. If they're not out and out fired, they're just pressures put on them and they they leave second reason is they go to something bigger and better you know the old ladder climbing situation well uh, i've got a pastor friend and i love him dearly but i i declare and you would some of you would know him if i said his name which i won't say but he's always got his eye on the next church out there that he can be in he knows if i go to this one i can probably get to this one if i go to that one i might be able to get to this one and 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 he's just climbing the ladder and I'm not leaving to climb a ladder. Well, I will climb a ladder. I told somebody, you know, the, the only thing about retiring is there's only one thing left to do. You figure that out. Uh, that's the only ladder I'm thinking about climbing. And the other one is through retirement. Just the pastors preached and come to that point where God has made a way and, and provided a way that he, he can kind of change focus of his ministry. I won't stop ministering. I said in my article, I'm not going to sit around. Retirement to me is not sitting around twiddling your thumbs, or as, as uh, John Piper said, retirement ought not be collecting seashells by the seashore and just sitting there. And that's not going to happen. I mean, I want to be involved in ministry in some way or another. But my greatest desire for Grace Baptist Church is Romans 8.28. Folks, I'm not a pastor looking to leave to climb a ladder because that would be a lack of love for you. I'm not, a, I'm not a pastor that you're running off, because that'd be a lack of love from you to me. I'm a pastor who loves this body with a, with a love that can only be described as a gift from God. And I want to see 20 years down the road, 30 years, 30, no, I'll be 98, never mind, at least 20 years down the road maybe, or 10 or 15, I want to I see Grace Baptist Church as strong and vital and unique, not just another Baptist church. And that's my prayer. That's why November 17th is so important. We have our next congregational meeting, our family meeting. Uh, I wish we could have it like we do, like to do with, with classes and all ending that night. We can't do it. I wish we could do a meal and do the Lord's Supper together. We may do the Lord's Supper together that night as we come in here. Uh, but that's so important because we're going to talk about the future. We're going to dream together about the future. And, and, and I just really believe that God has prepared Grace Baptist Church in such a way that the future is nothing but bright. You know, when you, when you're, when you have a group of pastors that you love and, and they love one another and they work together, it's easy to mentor and prepare and, and prepare for the day that is coming of resignation or retirement, and in this case, retirement. You can prepare. And, and again, today, a, a churches take different routes to call pastors. You know that. Uh, in some denominations, they're appointed. Thank God we don't do that as Baptists. Uh, the typical way is, you know, well, let's, 
let's get up a committee, pastor search committee, and let's go out and let's go find somebody's pastor that we like and let's steal them. Bring them to us. And, and understand this, most of the time when that happens, you, you steal them and you think you're getting a jewel, but what you're getting is a guy who says, Lord, get me out of here. I want to move. I want to, he may not be climbing the ladder, but the pressure's on and I want to go. Now, he'd never say that in a resume, but I've been there and I've seen it too many times. So you, somebody appoints at you, get a committee and you go out and you search and search and then you bring somebody, and when you bring them in, you hope, you pray that this guy is probably going to be a good preacher because you've heard him preach, and he's probably going to be a, a, a decent handler of the word because I don't think anybody in here that would serve on a committee would call anybody here that would not be faithful to the word. They would look to that and depend on that. But their biggest hope would be, I sure hope he loves us. I sure hope he's committed to the purpose that God has called us to. And, and I hope that he not only loves God, but that he loves us. I, I hope, I, we really hope that he will come in and, and say, I'm investing my life in you for the rest of my life because I, I want to love you. And I don't just want to be your preacher, I want to be your pastor. I don't want to just tell you what God says on Sunday morning, but I want to be with you there when you're hurting, when you're sick when you're rejoicing, when you're happy. I, I, you know, and you go and, you, and you, come, you bring this person in and everybody rejoices. You hope that happens. That happened about 15 years ago here in Somerset, Kentucky. It didn't work out so well. So grace was born. I think there's another route that more and more churches are taking today. With more and more satisfaction and more and more success, if you will, and more and more unity. And I talked last week about how how good and pleasant it is when, when the people of God dwell together in unity, and we have done that for 13 years in a glorious sort of way. And Lord, help us keep that unity intact, not looking at what I want, but looking at what He wants, and looking at what's best for the body, not just about what's best for me. Now, we're a congregational church. How many of you know what that means? A few of you do. It means the final decision for everything is with the congregation. So I can tell you what I think is best for this church as the founding pastor, as the one who has sweated and bled with you and prayed with you and grieved with you and rejoiced with you. I can tell you what I think is best. And in the final analysis, you can say, we don't care. That's not what we want. And we're going to do it our own way. And that, that would be perfectly acceptable under our congregational form of government. I'm not the Pope. We have a Pope, but he's a dentist. <laughs> so you can do whatever you want. But the real goal is going to be to keep the purpose of God in place. And, and that's why I really believe that the best direction for Grace Baptist Church is to deal with future pastor from within. A man who's loved you for 13 years, a man who's proven himself as a teacher and a preacher of the word faithfully, a man who has loved on our young people and has been a founding pastor, not the founding senior pastor, but a founding pastor, and a man that 
by that, you could, uh, uh, you could have a founding pastor as senior pastor for 30 years or more. So my prayer is, and my, what I think Grace Baptist ought to consider is Todd Meadows as senior pastor in the transition that would transition over the next seven months. I, I, I would, here's my dream. Here, you want to tell me what my dream is? Now I've gone from preaching to meddling, but this is my dream. My dream is that before the first of the year, before the end of this year, that, that this church would, would designate him, would not replace me yet, but would designate him as a senior pastor designate or senior pastor elect or senior pastor under the senior pastor, whatever you want to call it, you call it that, but designate him that way. And then after the first of the year, we would go to work diligently, he and I and the other pastors and others that would be involved in it, and, and call someone to replace him as family pastor, student pastor, that would come in before I ever retired. And so there would be about several months there, maybe three, maybe even four, that we could work together as a team in making that transition seamless so that when the Sunday that I'm gone and he stands in this pulpit, if you choose to go that route, then uh, it would just be seamless. And you'd say, where'd Bill go? Well, we don't miss him. I hope you don't say that totally, but, you know, that it would be a seamless transition. We have a chance to show Southern Baptists and others a glorious way of unity into the future. Now, a word of caution here. Satan doesn't want us to do that. Satan wants us to bicker. Satan wants us to say, oh, but I think there's a better preacher out there somewhere. Let me, give you an, let me give you my honest opinion. There is a better preacher out there than Todd. There's a better preacher out there than Bill Haynes. That's not the issue. The issue is we're going to have somebody that will love us. And see, I'm going to be a member now. I'm not going to be just a, I'm not going to be, I want somebody to love me that I know is going to love me. So, yeah, we, we could say, yeah, there's somebody out there that would be a better preacher, a better whatever. But is it somebody that's going to love us and who is a faithful preacher and teacher of God's Word? You know, when Paul says all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, I think it fits to where we are right now. I think God is going to work all things together for good for Grace Baptist Church without Bill Haynes, a senior pastor. I think you're going to look down the road and you're going to say, man, it's better than it's ever been. More glorious than it's ever been. More exciting and, and worshipful than it's ever been. Because you, 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 can, you have the opportunity to call a man who loves God, loves you, is committed to the same things we've been committed to for 13 years. And while changes will be made, no doubt, the focus, the purpose, the direction will stay absolutely the same. I really believe that's true. I really believe that's important. I really believe that our, our goal is here to seek God and seek unity in Christ above everything else 
And watch God work all this out in our midst so that there's this seamless transition. Well, I've probably misused the text a little bit, but not badly. And I'll come back and correct it all next week, okay? So we get back in the motion. But, but I just really felt like I said, I needed to share that with you. Our body, our church, our family. We've been a family. We cared for one another. We've walked with one another. I've wept with many of you over all sorts of things. I've rejoiced with you over all sorts of things. And I want to see that continue to the glory of Christ, to the glory of God, and to the furtherance of the gospel. Because in the final analysis, that's really all that matters. You know, I was going to quote some stuff, but I decided not to. But I've got some research data. If you want to read, if you want to see it, I'd be glad to give you a copy of it that Barna Research Group has done about transitions and all and what works, what, what has been disastrous, what's happened. But I look back just to my church in Florida. When I left there in 2001, uh, we, were going, we, we, we weren't perfect. We, we, we weren't grace, I'll be honest with you. But we were bigger than grace, and we had more people, and all sorts of things went. And they, did the, they had a couple of guys there who could have been called from within as pastor. But they said, no, we're Baptists. We do it the traditional way. And they went out, and they called somebody in. And over the period of months, the church got down to about 300 people from almost 1,000. And dropped down to 300 people. The people left. They ran. The, the pastor had some issues and ended up, he and his wife, divorcing and all sorts of things happened at that. But what they did is they went out and found somebody that would be different from Bill Haynes. Now, I admit sometimes being different from me is really good. But I'm not sure in that role it is. Had that church not been built totally debt-free, they would have closed the doors. They would have gone bankrupt. Now, am I saying if you don't do what I say you're doing, that's going to happen? Absolutely not. But I'm just saying that we have the potential to do something unique. We have the potential to do something. It's not unique and it's never been done. It's done a lot. But it's something that we've never seen pretty much in Somerset, Kentucky be able to work through that so on the 17th and before the 17th we'll have a, we'll be calling you to a season of prayer and, and i want you to listen if you're a member of grace baptist church i want you here on the 17th that's that important we'll be in here we'll share the supper together and then we will talk have a family conversation in our family congregational meeting fair enough let's pray